It is now. There we go. All right, good evening, everyone. We got a new cord, so it's not doing that popping thing, so it just wasn't turned on. So hope you had a good afternoon. I went for a walk with my son this afternoon, and it was uh, beautiful out there. So it looks like it's going to be beautiful all week. And uh, this is why I live in Indiana for this, this week, right? I think. I don't know, it might get too hot for me this week. It's going to be in the 80s. I don't know, that might be too No, I'm just kidding. Beautiful today, and I hope you enjoyed your afternoon, and uh, good to have you back tonight. We're looking forward to hearing from Jonathan preach tonight. Before we get there, we have a couple announcements. So if you're joining us for the first time here in person, please stop by the welcome desk. We have a gift we'd like to give to you. If you're joining us for the first time online, either you can either scan the QR code there on your phone, or you can go to sptd.org slash contacts, and we'll get a record of your visit there. Graduation Sunday is this coming Sunday, and so all of the promotions will happen. So third graders will now go into fourth grade and vice versa. I just picked a random age there, but the graduates will graduate and come to my college group, and I don't think I, I graduate anybody. They all just stay with me, right? It's great. So, uh, but all the graduation stuff will happen this coming Sunday. We'll have some special, we have 11 high school graduates and five college graduates that will honor it during the service, and so looking forward to that time next week. Teen Camp Campaign, as we've been saying for the last couple weeks, you can give your age, all right? And so there's envelopes out there for you to give, or you can give online. If you do give online, make sure you go to the drop-down arrow and uh, go to Teen Camp Contributions. If you just put it in, it's going to go straight to the general fund, and the teenagers will never see it, all right? So make sure you go to the Teen Camp Contribution under the drop-down arrow, and you can give in that way or in the envelopes in the back. Revival is coming up in two weeks, two weeks from today, and so we are looking forward to it. We've been uh, asking the Lord to do something special in our church through this revival, and so pastor's been preaching on the revival and focusing on prayer, and um, so we have our prayer, I think that's the next slide, but we have our prayer, um, like cottage prayer meetings, as pastor's calling them, like in the houses. Uh, you can sign up there in the church lobby right outside, out the doors, and uh, they are, we've kind of split up the times and dates, so hopefully one of them will work, and we're asking everyone to come out. Uh, a couple of them here at the church, a couple are at people's homes, and so make sure you uh, get involved in one of those. It's also a great time of unity, right, for our church family, just to be unified in prayer. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. But the revival meetings, you can go back a slide. Sorry, Joey. Um, it starts in two weeks, and it starts 9.30 on Sunday morning. And that will be a split session. All the teenagers and up, all the kids and, like, elementary kids will all be in the same normal places with their teachers. But then the teenagers and up through all the adults' classes will be ladies in here with Bethlehem and then all the men in the fellowship hall with Brother Dave. Uh, just kicking off our revival, and then it'll start 10.45 with our morning service. We're looking forward to that. And then every night, other than Sunday, 6 p.m. evening on Sunday, and then every night after that, 6 p.m. for a meal and 7 p.m. for the revival with a kids' club in the middle, and then Cola Wars going on after that for the teenagers. So looking forward to a great week there. Our missionaries of the week are Don and Hannah Cooper out of Hungary. As Pastor said this morning, they're in the process of moving down to Texas to do lit like language school, uh, but they had a couple of praises. They were able to get some updates on their video, and so they said they've been traveling around with the video that's out of date, and so they've been able to update that. They've been able to have some uh, with the, the house. Pastor said this morning they were able to buy their house four years ago and sell it for twice its worth in four years, and so that was a blessing for them um, with all that, but they're just praying for the house to sell quickly and just the transition to go well and then for them to be able to focus on their linguistic school on that. One more announcement before uh, we have the ushers come forward. Um, the U missions trip that's going to Utah in three weeks, all right, it's the week after re uh, revival, we will be meeting in the fellowship hall right after this to do a, a Zoom call with our contact out there. So looking forward to that. So if you're a part of that, you should know about it because I text you all this afternoon. But we'll meet in the fellowship hall right after the service for that. All right, if we could have the men come forward for the offering, and we'll have uh, Captain Bly, if you could pray for this evening's offering. And for the Coopers. Father, what a joy it is to be here again this evening, to be able to refresh, to be refreshed, to allow your word to refresh us, to be able to give as with hearts that are thankful for all that you've given to us. Just ask your blessing on the offering that it would uh, be sufficient to continue the work of the ministry here. In Christ's name we pray, amen.
right, go ahead and stand and join me as we sing It Is Well With My Soul. I trust it's well with your soul. If you, uh, how many of you got outside today? You went outside. You should have gone outside if you didn't. It was beautiful out there today. Still going to be beautiful tonight, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I know the weatherman's right, so I'm going to keep saying it. Make sure that it happens. Birthdays and anniversaries this last week. Anybody have a birthday this last week? Birthdays this last week? Brother Gary had a birthday. When was your birthday, sir? The 18th. The 18th. And how long have you known the Lord as your Savior? <laughs> it's been a long in 1979 so okay uh, yep so I was graduating from high school and you were trusting Christ your Savior that's great anyone else that's it just one how about anniversary do you have any anniversaries no anniversaries 
Wow, all right, let's sing happy birthday. Here we go. Just Brother Gary. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. John, I'm going to introduce our speaker first because he's going to be coming up later and I'm not coming back up. You already know him, the man who needs no introduction, Jonathan Klingeman, and uh, looking forward to hearing what he has to say just before he takes off. And then, well, tonight, afterwards, discuss our uh, mission's intern possibilities. So come on. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass, after three days, that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant, and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. May your hearts be sanctified by God's word this evening. You may be seated. You can stay seated and join me as we sing, And Can It Be?
sing God makes no mistakes. back behind this pulpit. There really is no pulpit like the home pulpit. You know, you can preach in every sort of place. You could have me preach in Europe for all I care, but there's no place like home, and there's no place being around you, who has been with me with for so much. Many things beyond imagining, beyond what I would have ever dreamed, yet Southeast Baptist Tabernacle is my home, especially uh, Philippians chapter number 1 will be in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number 1. And Pastor, for weeks now, has been speaking of revival, getting our hearts ready for what the Lord will do um, when Dave Young gets here. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of what. 
especially, it's sure that when the Word of God is proclaimed, um, the God of the Word is at work. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And we're in the book of Philippians, and while it is important to understand that revival, we, we often think of revival as, well, a revival of the heart. It's getting excited, getting on fire for God. And make no mistake about it, I am all for being on fire for God. I love fire. I love flames. I like burning stuff. It's just a manly thing to do. But in the spiritual realm as well, a Christian, he needs to be on fire for God. And this morning, in the scripture reading, um, Hebrews 12, uh, 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Moses encountered uh, the fire of God at the burning bush. But today, as we're in the book of Philippians, I want to present uh, my case, so to speak, for the book of Philippians. Now, it's commonly held that the theme of Philippians is joy and rejoicing in the Lord. Now, personally, I'm sure many of you are surprised I don't take that opinion. Now, everybody, cool the brakes a little bit. Let me explain myself. I feel like sometimes whenever I have an opinion, I just, I don't know, maybe I'm part salmon or something like that because I'm constantly swimming upstream, going against the grain. But it's just my own personal belief that the book of Philippians is about the Christian's mind and personal thinking, what you do up here. Because perhaps the most important battlefield is the battlefield for your mind. If the devil, our adversary, can get us to think improperly, well, he doesn't need to do anything else. Because if you're not thinking rightly about God and rightly about yourself, you are destined for disaster and destruction. And I want to give a uh, brief sort of evangelist flyover of the book of Philippians before we jump into um, my main text. But in Philippians um, chapter number 1, Notice in verses 9 and 10. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. In that passage, um, the Apostle Paul, he speaks of your love abounding more and more, that's of the heart, but it's within the confines of knowledge and judgment. A real love for God cannot be divorced from a proper and true knowledge of God. And Paul, he's not satisfied with believers being on fire for God. He wants them to think properly as well. The fire is the fuel, so to speak, but you must use your mind to guide and make judgments as to what to do with this heart that is aflame for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the Apostle Paul here, he establishes a proper framework for thinking. In other words, this is how we make every decision and judgment in this life, a heart that is on fire for God, and a mind that is filled with the knowledge of God. And when um, the Apostle Paul says judgment, he means discernment. How do I apply what I know and love about God? Um, that's Philippians chapter 1. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 real quick. In Philippians 2 verse 5, the Bible reads, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul, again, the theme of the mind, and though in this case it's a, a mindset, it's an attitude of the utmost and impeccable humility. Because no one was humiliated like the Lord Jesus Christ. He despised the shame of the cross. He abandoned, he set aside his divine privileges for you. For the sake of the ones he was going to save, he set aside his privileges. And that is the ultimate, that is the epitome of humility. In the face of being despised and rejected of men, Jesus chose not to cling to his divine privileges, but rather, instead, he drank the cup that was set before him, the cup which my Father hath given. Shall I not drink it? However, what Jesus also understood in the face of this, in his mind, was that humiliation comes before exaltation. In other words, the cross comes before the crown. He endured because he knew one day there would be glory in the future. He knew that one day after the cross, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen, somebody. Amen. And this was the mindset of Jesus. He wasn't ignorant about any of these things. And for you as well, my charge is that you also not be ignorant about wherever your journey of faith is. There could be some sort of tragedy, some sort of terrible disappointment. But I want you to know that even if it is unfair, so to speak, it doesn't matter. God has given you a cross to bear, and Jesus bore his cross. And following in his steps, you can bear it as well, because we know 
by faith. At the end of it, there will be glory. There will be a reward, a crown. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Your hopes are not vain because you have faith in God. And as you walk in God, as you walk before Him in love and in faith, what happens is your faith is undergirded, or your, your hope is undergirded. It has substance because of faith. What happens is the Lord will bring evidence into your life, convicting evidence that vindicates your faith. In other words, the Lord will so work that at the end of it you'll be able to say, I'm glad I trusted Jesus. I'm glad I trusted the Lord. So many naysayers and haters, and Abraham himself doubted the promise of God that he would have a son, but when the day finally came, he could show to the whole world who doubted that he would have children, he could say, look, here he is. Here he is. Here is my son, and I was right to have faith in God. Amen. This was the mindset of the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians 2. He knew what was going to come, and he endured all these things. In Philippians uh, chapter number 3, in verses 13 and 14, Paul, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting, that's an action of the mind, those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, earlier in this passage, the Apostle Paul, he gives a brief summary of his, um, of his pedigree, so to speak. There wasn't a, a Jew who was more Jewish than he. He was of a Benjamin. He was circumcised of the eighth day, etc. He says, if there's anybody who could have gotten righteousness of the law, it was me. But all these so-called advantages he could have boasted in, he said, forget those things. I'm leaving them all behind because the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, notice what he says, the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's better. Jesus Christ is always better than anything this world can ever offer. And the Apostle Paul says, I have Jesus and nothing else matters because Jesus is better than all of those things. And in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, a very familiar passage I trust, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good reports, virtuous, praiseworthy, we are to be meditating on these things. In every chapter, the Apostle Paul discusses the mind and it's important that I, I want to establish this foundation, this framework, because going into a revival meeting, going into, quite frankly, the Christian life, um, we are to go into it. We cannot turn our brains off. We cannot just you know, fly by the seat of our pants, so to speak. The most fundamental battle is in the mind. And if our thinking is flawed or sabotaged by the enemy in very complex and theological jargon, we're toast. Now, even small errors are dangerous. For example, imagine, if you will, I'm in a, a ship. I'm charting a trip from uh, London to Boston. However, in my initial calculations, my navigation, I'm off by, say, a few degrees. Just a few. Now, at the beginning of the trip, we're going in the right direction. We're going west. We're going across the Atlantic. Um, if we were in the Pacific for some reason, that would be a really, really um, bad situation somehow we got there. But, um, so we're moving in the right direction. However, eventually, things are going to get really awkward when instead of uh, making it to Boston, we see the Statue of Liberty instead. That's uh, something went wrong somewhere. But at the very beginning, when we were laying the foundation, so to speak, even the slightest error of navigation, just a few degrees, took us to a place where we weren't supposed to be going. And I give this illustration to stress the importance of how you think about God, how you think about revival, how you think about the Bible, how you think about your sin, and how you think about yourself. Uh, the importance of your mind cannot be overstated. Uh, the devil and this present world, this present age, wants men to be lazy and ineffective in body, soul, and spirit. Quite frankly, he wants men to vegetate on the couch instead of hitting the gym. He wants uh, men to be weak and abandon the battles of our day. He wants uh, women to break their um, supposed chains of oppression and leave home and live a life of misery to ascend a godless corporate ladder and so on. He wants them to prioritize the world and themselves instead of the home. In short, the devil wants everything to be flip-flop. He wants men to be women and women to be men. But we know better. 
We know what the Word of God says. We know how a man is supposed to be a leader in the home, humble and submitted to God, the exemplar, uh, to uh, look after, or look to the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say these things because it's imperative that we confront the sins of our day with understanding. It's not enough to say that the Bible says this, and therefore you shouldn't do it. Um, we understand what the truth is. It's also important that we understand why the truth is the way it is. We must know and act with understanding. Our decisions largely determine our fate. Proverbs 5.22 reads, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself. He shall be holden with the cords of his sins. Your decisions will affect who you are. Your decisions will take you either to destruction or to paradise. Uh, One of my favorite Puritans, perhaps my favorite Puritan, is uh, Jonathan Edwards. And one of his uh, many resolutions reads, Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trump. Or to put it in other words, um, Jonathan Edwards resolved to never do anything that he would be afraid to do if he knew the Lord was coming this very hour. So, that's, that was his standard of excellence. So let me ask you, the way you spend your personal time, if you knew the Lord was coming this very hour, how would that change your behavior? Because for the Christian, our standard is not good enough. Our standard is excellence. And the standard requires work. Now, laziness, it applies um, not only to the body, it applies also to the mind. Now, imagine, if you will, a man and his wife were um, walking down the street, and lo and behold, a hooligan started attacking her. It would be evil for the husband to refrain from defending um, his family. It would be evil for him to not confront the evil assaulting his family. And it's an even greater evil, I believe, for you, Dad, to refrain from engaging your mind in confronting the evil ideas and philosophies that seek to destroy your home. Uh, There is no place quite as sacred as the home the family. Our culture has trained us to be mentally and spiritually lazy in reference to the will of God. So many people, they just want to have signs and wonders and so on, whereas sometimes I think God is just sitting in heaven saying, open your brain, put the Bible in there, and think. So many of our problems would be resolved if we just simply knew what the Word of God said. But in regards to thinking biblically about revival now, do not forget that sin defiles, dulls, and destroys. Well, the Apostle Paul here in Philippians chapter 1, which will be our text, he's praying that the whole Christian be mature. He, he prays that we all improve as a Christian, that we grow in Christ, that both um, the heart and mind is increased and built up in Christ. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 reads, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. At salvation, you were rooted in Christ. But now in sanctification, we are being built up in him. Christ the foundation, and in our obedience in the Spirit, we grow in Christ. Now, notice firstly in our text, I'll read it uh, one more time, uh, verses 9, 10, and 11. And this I pray, of Philippians chapter 1, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Before we continue, let's pray. Father, I do pray for your help in this time. You are my heavenly Father, and it was your love for me, for all of us, that you sent your Son to die in our place to secure us unto yourself. Father, we look to you for wisdom, for guidance, for love especially. I pray that you bring Christ to our minds, that we would love him the way you love him. Holy Spirit, I pray for your power in this time that you would enlighten our eyes and inflame our hearts with love for you, the triune God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Notice firstly in our text, your love must abound. Now this implies that a love is already present. Um, The Apostle Paul here is not just praying for something that isn't already there. He knows these believers. He knows that they love God. They are very active, and these are people that are very special to his heart. He says, guys, don't stop loving. 
Those things that you are already very good at, it, keep it up. Do even better. Abound yet more and more. Just increase. Abound. Go crazy with love for Jesus, for love for Christ. You can't love Jesus Christ too much. However, there is a danger. All love and no knowledge um, produces um, hippies and an evil sort of love that overlooks sin. A uh, bit of a strange example of this is uh, Joel Osteen and uh, Lauren Daigle. Um, both of these are, uh, well, professing Christians, we'll leave it at that. But uh, Joel Osteen himself is a false prophet, I'm not afraid to say that. But on uh, TV, they'll give interviews, the media will consider him a prominent voice um, for Christians and whatnot, and they'll ask him questions like uh, homosexual marriage and abortion and other faiths, and it was asked, well, you know, if, if you believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation, what about the Muslims? What about the Hindus? What about every other religion on the face of the earth? And his response was, well, I don't know about that. I'm not one to judge. Brother, you, you need to judge. Um, God's called us to judge righteous judgment, and we do nobody any favors by withholding from them the truth of the Word of God. And his form of love is a love without any kind of truth. And in the end, it's a false sort of love. Um, for her part, Lauren Daigle, when asked about um, homosexual marriages and all that, she says that she just doesn't know and she tries not to judge anybody when opportunities like that are a perfect, well, opportunity to show the gospel, to demonstrate the superiority and truthfulness of our God and of our faith. But instead, for the sake of quote-unquote love, these people back down from an opportunity to shine brightly for the cause of Jesus Christ. But the question, what is real love? Firstly, a real love, it sacrifices. Um, John 3.16 is perhaps the most famous verse in the entire Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But what's so interesting about that verse is um, so often we don't precisely understand what John is saying with that verse. So when we read that verse, we think, oh God, he just he loved the world so much. It was just so much the way he loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now it's true that the Lord, that God the Father specifically loves the world with a love that is incomprehensible. That is true, but that is not what John 3.16 teaches. What the word so there means is in this manner. So if I could uh, paraphrase it in the, uh, John, the authorized Jonathan Klingeman translation, for God the Father, in this manner that God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son. The demonstration of the Father's love for the world of men was the giving of his Son. If any man doubts that God loves him, let him look to the cross. Um, the Father did not give Jesus because he hated the world. He gave Jesus because he loved the world. For God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, he loves the world, and it's a love, a real love, is sacrificial. So, to the degree that you are willing to sacrifice, to that degree you love, and no more. If you are not willing to sacrifice your time for someone else, your love for them is fairly small. If you're not willing to give them the time of day, to listen to their concerns, to give yourself to them, my dear friends, you can say you love them all you want, but if you're not willing to sacrifice, you do not love, because the Bible demonstrates, it tells us clearly that the way that Christ loved his bride is that he gave himself, he sacrificed himself for her. A good example of this is the, later, the, the lady with the, um, the box of ointment. Very expensive perfume. Now, nowhere in the Bible is it command that we um, bring that specific like, box of ointment to Christ. And the Bible doesn't record her receiving a command to do that. And so she didn't have to do that. She didn't have to give the box of ointment. But you know what was so interesting? She wanted to. She didn't need a command. She wanted to sacrifice for Jesus. And so my question to you is, what good thing are you willing, do you want to give up? Just because you want to, for the sake of revival, for the sake of Jesus, what good thing will we give to him that costs a year's wages? She was willing to do it just because she loved him, because she understood how much she had been forgiven, and it was worth it, always worth it, to give to Jesus. It's always worth it to belong to Him, to have fellowship in His love. It's always worth it to give to Jesus Christ, to sacrifice in a real way for Jesus Christ. A real love, it does sacrifice, and as I'm sure you parents would know far better than I, 
Um, a real love that sacrifices it'll sometimes take you to places you never would have dreamed or imagined uh, otherwise. You'll ask yourself, what am I even doing here? But for the sake of my kid that I love, I'll be here. So in my example, I don't have any children, of course. So I have a little bit of a different example. It's a little humorous, hopefully. So um, last semester, I traveled on uh, the War SF, or War of Special Forces. And um, one of the aspects of the ministry is that we go out into the public, we well, hunt down teenagers and invite them out to the war night so that they come, they have a good time, they hear the gospel, and um, they get saved, um, rinse and repeat for the rest of the tour. Okay, So on one of the nights, I go to um, a mall. Um, all the guys, we kind of split up because we all recruit for our own team, and I'm certainly not going to recruit for the Rangers or you know, SEALs or anything. Forget those guys. But anyway, the worst that people would get that. So, so I'm, I'm out in the mall, and I'm trying to find teenagers, okay? So I, I normally don't frequent malls. I'm sure you guys are surprised at that. But I don't normally go into malls. There's a bunch of weird people who hang out there. But I'm walking, and lo and behold, I go past this shop, and the, the windows are transparent, of course, and I look in, and I'm like, oh, no, there's teenagers in there, so I have to go get them. But here's the thing. It's that, it's that, um, that, like, that beauty place, like, what is it called, like Ultra Beauty or something like that. But anyway, so I... I'm like, I seriously got to go in here and recruit these teenagers, but it's like, it's a makeup store. It's got, there's lipstick all over the place, but it's like, well, you know what? Okay, those kids are on their way to hell, and somebody's got to go in there and get them. So I go in there, and if there's ever footage later in my life where it shows me in a makeup store, well, that's why I was in there, I promise. Otherwise, I never would have gone in there. So I go in there, and I recruit a bunch of teenagers, but good night. Never again. Anyway, so a real love sacrifices. It's willing to go places you wouldn't otherwise be willing to go. You'd give up things you wouldn't normally be willing to give up because of love. Not only does real love sacrifice, real love separates as well. Sin is the antithesis to love. Uh, Romans 13.10, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. In other words, you don't steal from people you love. You don't commit immorality with people you love. Two people who shack up, a boyfriend and a girlfriend who live together and are not married, they do not love each other. I don't care how much they scream and cry and get emotional or how much feelings they have for each other. If you loved her, you wouldn't be doing that to her. Quite frankly, if you loved yourself, you wouldn't be doing that to yourself. And so this kind of love isn't true love. It's selfish. It's feelings that are all about how I feel and how I want to feel and how I can get that out of the other person. Real love, it doesn't sin against others. It does no ill to his neighbor. It separates. Thirdly, a real love not only sacrifices and separates, it shoots straight. I had to keep it alliterated, you see. Sometimes I'm afraid that perhaps the most important commandment for Christians is the 11th commandment. Now y'all are wondering, what in the world is the 11th commandment? The 11th commandment is as follows, thou shalt be nice. The temptation is to adapt the gospel so that the lost aren't offended away from a real presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a temptation we feel every time we witness, don't we? Now you will say, young man, I just don't want to offend somebody away from the gospel. Here's, this, here's the thing. That's just it. The gospel is an offense. When was the last time you presented the gospel and somebody was offended? When was the last time somebody said, no, get that out of my face. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know my life. Who are you to judge? Etc. That is the sin nature being convicted. That is the Holy Spirit of God bearing down upon them, telling them that they are a sinner and they are not having it. But if you've been sharing the gospel for 10 years, 20 years, and you have yet to offend somebody by your gospel presentation, um, ask yourself, why? Why does that happen? Now, I'm not saying that we go out and be rude and get in people's faces. But what I am saying is, the loving thing to do if somebody has a horrible disease, something as horrible as sin, the most loving thing you can do is look them in the eye and say, your sin is sending you to hell. The Lord is angry, but there is a way of escape. Turn away from your sin. Be sick of your sin, because that's the essence of repentance. It's being sick and tired of the sin in your life, and you want Jesus Christ. And telling them the truth, and not giving in to temptation is just telling them the truth of the gospel, that they are a sinner, and that you refuse because you love the gospel, because you love Jesus Christ, because you love the Word of God, you won't compromise on the gospel. The reason we think otherwise, the reason we are so afraid to offend people, 
is because we think we can control the hearts of men when only God can change the heart. To put it another way, my presentation of the gospel does not save anybody. The blood of Jesus Christ is what saves, especially when the Holy Spirit of God applies it to the heart. That's what saves a man. And so I could adapt my gospel and all of that, but that's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And my relationship to the gospel will determine the kind of blessings I will receive from my Father. Or to put it another way, if I can't be trusted with the gospel, why would God entrust me with revival? If something as basic and precious as the gospel, he that is faithful in little shall be entrusted with much, if I cannot even be faithful with this, why would God entrust me with something larger? But I want you to know that Revival is coming, and you can turn unto God. To put it another way, if I compromise or take away the offense of the gospel, I dishonor God. Now, uh, a real love, it sacrifices, it separates, it shoots straight. But another question, how do we increase our love for God? Quite simply, we behold our Savior. Uh, The book of Song of Solomon, and this is the very first time I've ever gotten to quote the Song of Solomon. This is kind of a historic moment right here. So parents, cover your children's ears. and I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, I am going to quote the Song of Songs, but not a controversial verse. Song of Songs 5.4 reads, My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels removed for him. Now, the book of Song of uh, Solomon was written, of course, of King Solomon and the Shulamite uh, woman. However, I personally take it also as an allegory of Christ and his bride, the church. And in this uh, interaction, we see that when Christ is near, those who belong to him rejoice. Uh, You've experienced it yourself, haven't you? When you're praying just alone with God, and all of a sudden, the Lord shows up. And you just get excited, because there is no voice like the shepherd's voice. There is no voice like his to cheer the heart, to set all the storms aside, to calm the seas Uh, the inner turmoil of your heart when the Lord speaks above all things. That's what I delight to hear. Let me ask you, when was the last time you heard the Lord's voice? When it just just stirred your heart and you knew it was Him. You were in His presence and you knew it was Jesus that talked to you. And there's nothing else that you wanted in that moment but just to be with Jesus and to never go away and to have Him tell you that it's it's all going to be all right that we'll make it through, that there is a purpose for suffering. Have you met with Jesus? Do you know Him? There is no voice like His. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Uh, John Rice, he gives an example of some flocks that he saw in the Holy Land. Um, he was at a, a well there in Israel, and a whole bunch of shepherds came with their flocks, and they all completely intermingled. And they were all you know, watering their flocks, of course, but John Rice, he looked over and he thought, these shepherds are something else. These guys must be dumber than a box of rocks because they're gonna, it's going to take forever to get these sheep you know, sorted out and you know, separated so that they can go on their merry little way. But what happened was, one at a time, one shepherd would simply speak and he would call, and his sheep and only his sheep would turn and they would follow him. The second shepherd did that until the last. When the shepherd speaks, the sheep, they know. They, may be, they might be young, they might be inexperienced, they might be whatever, but at the same time, these are the words of our Lord, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There is no voice like the shepherd's voice. And in revival, are you eagerly seeking to hear his voice, to know him, to be delighted at his call? Not only must your love be abounding, your knowledge must be deep as well, Notice it says that um, your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Um, Increasing in knowledge is not accidental. My question is, what steps of purposeful um, advancement are you taking to increase in the knowledge of God? Young people today can spend uh, two hours on TikTok or whatever it is the kids get up to these days, but um, can't spend an hour in the Word of God. Or maybe I could put it this way, uh, men can watch a two-hour football game, but When was the last time you tarried for two hours before God in prayer? I say this because of the perilous times that we're in. I say this because of the current distress. I say this because our government, quite frankly, hates us. And it's high time that God's people increase in the knowledge of God. But this word for knowledge is epigenosko, or the noun form epigenose. 
It's, um, it, can, it has a few ideas in there, and quite frankly, epikonosko can refer to an experiential knowledge of God. But I believe, in this case, it actually refers to a full and proper knowledge of God. Now, why do I believe that? The next word there for judgment is um, aesthese, which means discernment, or the proper application of what you do know. So what the Apostle Paul is saying here is this. Your love, it's abounding, it's growing, it's, um, it's on fire, so to speak. However, the boundaries for your love is a proper knowledge of God. Not just a general knowledge of God, but a proper knowledge of God and discernment. How to apply what I know about God with a heart that is aflame for God. Or to put it another way, um, the knowledge of God are safe, it's safeguards for you. Now I'm curious... How many people in this room play an instrument or have had some kind of instrumental training? Okay, we've got a good number. Okay, I'm just curious. Uh, which one of you guys play brass? Can you play brass? I know Jason does French horn. Very impressive. Um, Pastor Brett plays the trumpet. Well, we'll leave him at that. But uh, <laughs> um, Mary plays the violin. Violin is the best. Amen, somebody. So when it comes to technique, when it comes to rules and training, um, all of us, we, we know the, how... Stressful it can be to spend hours practicing, especially for a difficult instrument like the violin, like the French horn, etc. But eventually, though, as you progress, you learn to love it. You learn to just be excited for the instrument. And once you finally get to a certain level, you can really do stuff for it. You know, it's just kind of, okay, I think I'm getting the hang of this kind of an idea. But um, what, what would be kind of strange, though, is this. Um, your teacher, uh, he or she spends so much time correcting your form, right? Telling you to, you know... Uh, stand up straight, keep your chest up, you know, stop moving your arm the way it's been moving, you know, rotate with the elbow and don't rotate with the shoulder, etc. And so you know, all these rules, right, regulations, proper knowledge and the application of the proper knowledge. Now, those techniques are there to help you. They're, here, they're there to protect you because if you're playing wrong, for one thing, you could injure yourself. And for another thing, it's not going to sound very good if you're not playing with proper technique. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, when you follow the rules, it's the best thing you could do. There is safety, there is freedom, there is liberty within the proper boundaries. You don't want to go out there. You don't want to play in the street where you, get, where you could get hit by a car. You don't want to break the rules. It's dangerous to depart from the proper knowledge of God. And what you need to know is that when your heart is aflame for God, you need to know what to do with that. You need to know who God is and how to apply that knowledge to your heart. Because if you don't know who God is, your love will take you all sorts of places that you're not supposed to be going to. And this knowledge of God is so important that the heart... Though it be a flame, it needs to be submitted to the mind that has a proper knowledge of God. However, all knowledge and no love produces something, a fate worse than death, dead fundamentalism. Uh, there's a really good example of this in the Old Testament. His name was Jonah. Jonah, he was a man who could pass a, a theology test, you know, hands down. He could get an A on the Bible doctrines test. He knew all the right answers, but we know the story. This man ran from God. This guy did not want to obey God. And even when he's preaching to the Ninevites, I can kind of see it in him, yeah, I'm just, I'll do it. I'm kind of sincere about it. I, I, I showed up and all that. But afterwards, he's like, all right, let's see you do it, God. Let's see you burn the whole place down. Let's see him fry. It, he was a man who just didn't have a love for the loss. He was a man who just didn't have a love to obey God the way that God wanted him to obey. He had the knowledge, but he did not have love. Now, when it comes to this issue of uh, discernment, the rightful application of this knowledge, it's not Christian to be simple in the things of God. It's not Christian to be a fool. Proverbs 17, 16, Wherefore, is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom, seeing he hath no heart to it, no heart to get knowledge, no understanding to apply it. Um, God, he has called all of us to increase in the knowledge of God. But what happens when you submit to this process? What happens when your heart is aflame for God, and your mind is filled with the knowledge of God, and you know what to do with that knowledge, well, you become real. You become well-pleasing unto God. Um, you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Jesus Christ. That word for uh, sincere is eilacrinase. Uh, it has the idea of being judged under the sun. And so in ancient times, there's a, um, there's a lot of pottery in those days, and what a merchant would do in order to test to see if something was genuine or not, he would take a piece of the pottery and he would hold it up to the sun. 
And in the sun's rays, it would illuminate whether this guy really did construct the whole thing himself or whether he just took a bunch of pieces and kind of just conglomerated them together and it was a fraud. And under the rays of the sun, a thing was determined, it was judged to see if it was real or not. And one day, you will stand before the sun of righteousness, S-U-N, the sun of righteousness, and his rays will shine upon you and ask yourself, what will his rays reveal about you? What will he see in you? Will you be sincere and without offense looking towards the day of Christ? Or will he find imperfections? Will he find flaws? Will he be disappointed? But there is something else as well. Apostle Paul speaks of being filled with the fruits of righteousness. You become fruitful. You cannot take credit for all that has happened because they come by Jesus Christ. There's no room for boasting at the cross and there will be no room for boasting at the Bema seat, at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. But why does Jesus do this? Why does God the Father do this? Why does the Holy Spirit of God change you like this? Well, he tells us, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. He wants you to be to the praise of the glory of God. Our motivation should not be to get the best out of this life or to look good in front of men. Our motivation is the glory of God. That's the purpose of revival. That's the purpose of reformation. That's the purpose of everything, is that you would be to the glory of God. Do not seek revival so that you could be revived. Seek revival that God might be glorified. He inflames your heart that you might be to the praise of the glory of His grace. A revival of the heart and reformation of the mind is the most sincere and effective when it is the most to the glory of God. Revival is for God's glory. In just a few weeks, uh, Dave Young will be here to preach for spiritual revival. The intention is that you grow in a distinct and personal way. Revival needs hearts that are revived and minds that are reformed. When God comes for you, and He comes to you in your own heart, where no one else can see, there's no trophies in your heart before God, you can't impress Him there, will you be ready? Will your heart be craving His presence? Will your mind be ready to receive the knowledge of God? Do you know my Jesus? Will you hear the shepherd's voice? Father and our God, I do thank You for this opportunity to get into Your Word. Lord, I do pray that You apply these things to our hearts that we would be aflame for You. We would come to know You. Lord Jesus Christ, we know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Lord, would you change our thinking, reveal to us errors of thoughts, reveal to us what we must do to change how we think about you and about ourselves. We are not cast away. We are redeemed of God and so precious to you. Would you inflame our hearts, the hearts that are stony, would you break through, break up the fallow ground that Christ might reign so thoroughly in our hearts. Father, I pray these things in your name. We stand to your feet, and as the uh, invitation plays, I trust that you can respond as the Lord leads, and will you respond to him tonight as the music plays? so much, Jonathan. Wow, that was great. I hope that uh, we will put ourselves in a mindset or ask God to put ourselves in a mindset for revival. You know, would we, would we consider coming to revival this way? Lord, if you'll meet me, I'll respond. That would be a great mindset for us to come to revival time with. Uh, it's 7.01 at 7.05. We're going to meet back in here real quickly for that meeting about our missions intern concept. So take a break, get a drink, or leave if that's what you're going to do, and come back. Lord bless you, keep you, make space, shine upon you, give you peace. God bless you. You are dismissed.